Well, it was finally a win for Charles Leclerc, who did take the checkered flag for the first time since round three of the 2022 season. But it was also a day for track limits at the Red Bull ring. They were giving out warnings like candy. We're going to go over the Austrian Grand Prix, Ferrari's victory. But once again, they left points on the table with Carlos Sainz getting a DNF. He had to escape a fiery car pursuing Max Verstappen for P2. It's our Austrian Grand Prix review. I'm Tony Desiri. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. If you've liked what we've been doing and you're a frequent listener, please subscribe to the channel so you can be updated when we upload episodes. If you're brand new, this is the first time listening to us. Thank you so much, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to the podcast. If you need to reach me for any reason, I'm Tony Desiri. You can find me on Twitter, at Tony D Radio. Also, uh, like our Facebook page, the Overtake F1 Podcast. Be part of our Formula One community there, if you're so inclined, giving your opinions on various things throughout the season. All right, so let's get to our review of the Austrian Grand Prix. It was another win for Charles Leclerc and Ferrari, who finally win after an amazing start to the season. Remember, he took two of the first three races and he looked like he had the car to beat in the early rounds he wanted Bahrain he wanted Australia came in second at Jeddah in round number two but he had a run of late where things were just not going right mistakes and strategy by the team just maybe mechanical problems like we saw in Barcelona and Baku Leclerc had gone from a real serious championship contender to almost like losing points to Max Verstappen every single week he failed the podium in five of seven races between Australia and Austria now, Austria may not have tightened up the points battle to something really, really interesting, but it did knock it down a little bit, five points to be exact. 11 races are now in the books and 11 more are on the schedule. So there is some time for Leclerc to get back in the hunt and make it really interesting down the stretch. But Ferrari fans know this. They do need to tighten up their game a little bit. The Grand Prix weekend included a sprint race on Saturday. That was won by Max Verstappen, and Leclerc did finish second. Now, since championship points are given out, Max extended his lead a little bit in that win by a point. But on Sunday, we saw Ferrari, that a car that had really strong pace. In fact, both cars had really strong pace to challenge Max up front. And both drivers, Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, did that a number of times throughout the Grand Prix. So at the start of the race on Sunday, Verstappen got away. He did get some pressure from Leclerc going into turn one, but was able to sort of get away pretty cleanly. Signs he was forced off the track, but the opening lap would not be completed without the first incident. And that's when George Russell and Sergio Perez made some contact coming off of turn four off of that downhill. Perez went into the gravel. He was trying to get around Russell on the outside of that turn. That's not really a good position to be in. So he came in, he got some hard tires, but he had a hole in his side pod and it, it wouldn't be a, a, a long day for him. He eventually had to retire the car, was in last place, wasn't really getting up in, up in the grid and just sort of, they just said, all right, let's, let's can this thing. Russell though, because of that contact received a five second penalty and he served that on his first pit stop on lap 12 and that dropped him to 17th when he returned to the Grand Prix. So he really had a lot of ground to start making up. Meanwhile, up front, Leclerc was gaining on Verstappen pretty good, and, and it would make a move to get into the lead. Sainz was behind him in third, and then he also had both Haas drivers. They were in the top ten as well, both ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Leclerc made a number of solid moves to try to overtake Verstappen, but both times Max was able to hold him off. But you got the feeling immediately Leclerc was going to get the lead at some point. It was just too much for Max to sort of hold back a Ferrari that was breathing down his back. And maybe Max didn't really want 
want to fight him off, to try to play a different strategy game. Leclerc finally got the lead as both cars were exiting out of turn four, uh, coming out of turn four into lap on lap 12. Max was the first of the two drivers up front to get new tires. He came in on lap 14 and he got a set of hards that put the two Ferraris up front and Esteban Ocon of Alpine. He was riding third. Hamilton, though, was making a move towards the front. He passed Kevin Magnussen for fourth and when they had about 16 laps on the board. There was a lot of overtaking at the Red Bull ring. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people like the circuit. Max Verstappen did have some work to do when he came out of the pits because he was behind a lot of cars. So as he was trying to maneuver to get uh, get up to the front, he was able to get into that P3 position with the two Ferraris up front, and they had yet to come in for tires. And... Verstappen was putting up some fastest laps on those hard tires, and that meant he was closing the pit window a bit for the Ferraris, and they were going to lose the lead once they boxed. Now, when I went back over the race, there was there was this one track battle that I really found interesting, and that was, it was kind of brilliant too. There were five cars battling. You had Lando Norris fighting Kevin Magnussen, Fernando Alonso was in that mix, Mick Schumacher as well, and Joe Guan Yu, all battling for positions eight through 12. Five cars, four different teams, all bunched up. Really, really, really good stuff. That's kind of what the Red Bull ring can give you. Leclerc was the first Ferrari to come in for the hard tires. He came out third, and then Carlos Sainz came in a lap later. That gave the lead back to Verstappen. But it was not long before the Ferraris were right back on top of the Red Bull and going for the lead again. On lap 33, Max didn't put up a fight. Leclerc just slid right past him, took the lead of the Grand Prix. Leclerc was faster, and Max was struggling with some grip issues, so he didn't really put up a fight. Leclerc easily made the overtake and took the lead of the Grand Prix. Verstappen made another stop and got another set of hard tires, which was interesting because, as they pointed out, he was complaining about the last set of hards. He said some laps I was getting grips, some corners I was getting grips, others I wasn't. So he was really going back and forth with the grip of the hard tires. But they set him off with another set again. Um, But it was clear Red Bull in this race just didn't have the pace of the two Ferraris. And so it looked like... Red Bull was saying, look, let's get you on some hards. Let's get that third spot. Let's limit some damage here. And let's get out of this with as, as, as maximum number of points as we can get. We've already got a win in the sprint race. And let's just take our lumps on this one because we just don't have pace of the Scuderia. Now you add to the fact that you have the retirement of Sergio Perez. He's not up front battling out, helping Verstappen in any form of strategy, maybe holding up the Ferraris or whatever. He's completely out of the equation. So you can see where Christian Horner and Red Bull were thinking, look, let's just get a P3 out of this thing. Got a sprint race win. We'll maximize as many points as we possibly can. It's not the end of the world. Let's get out of here. Now, one other issue that seemed to be affecting everybody on the circuit was track limits. And the FIA was handing these things out like candy. Warnings all over the place. Lewis Hamilton at one point got a warning. He radioed back to his team. He was like, well, that was BS. But uh, are anybody else getting told uh, that they're going over the line? And Mercedes said, yeah, actually they are. There's a lot of teams that are getting track warnings. Now, with the cars being designed this year to race closer together and maybe the bigger tires, it might have played a part with so many warnings, I'm not sure, but I will say that there were a lot of battles though throughout the field. And there were some really good ones too. Now, Sebastian Vettel got into the gravel after fighting with Pierre Gasly that brought out the virtual safety car. And you had Fernando Alonso waving a finger at Yuki Tsunoda, Mick Schumacher. He made a nice overtake of Lance Stroll and then Stroll passed Schumacher with the DRS. Those were just a couple of battles of many that were going on at the Red Bull ring. 
Ferrari came back in on lap 49. Charles Leclerc got himself a set of new tires. Signs came in a lap later. Both got hards to the end. Verstappen had the lead of the Grand Prix. So Leclerc was going to have to overtake him for the third time in the race. And he did that on lap 43 at the top of the hill going into turn three. Leclerc went a little bit wide entering that turn and then found the inside line past Verstappen, went down the straight, got away from him as Verstappen would have DRS, but he was able to hold him off on those turns four, five, six, and that little short shoot between seven and eight. With about 14 laps remaining, though, this is where it got kind of interesting. Carlos Sainz had put up a fastest lap of the race and had his sights set on Max Verstappen for P2. He got right behind him at the top of the hill at turn three. He was looking to get into DRS range. Then he started to slow down, and then he really started to slow down. Smoke started coming out of the back of his car. He went off the runoff area heading into turn four. The car was finished. Another power unit problem for Ferrari. It even caught on fire and the fire was getting bigger and bigger. It started sliding backwards. Steins stayed in the cockpit, but the marshals were a little bit late getting there. Fire was really starting to cook at this point. It started to look really, really dangerous. In fact, they even cut away uh, from the from the fiery car showing you the pit wall of Ferrari before they actually went back when he was finally out of the car. So I think they wanted to make sure that something horrific wasn't caught on camera because signs was still in the cockpit and there was fire all around him, but he did, he was able to get out. The marshals were able to get the car, um, you know, the fire out and stop the car from sliding backwards. But you, you, and you saw the image of, of Carlos signs sitting down hand, you know, hands in his head and just kind of looking all distraught because anytime he's been getting momentum, something like this seems to happen. And this was a devastating moment for Ferrari because they were really showing perfect pace for, uh, for this racetrack and they had great strategy. They have another DNF on their card and this one prevented a one, two finish. That was really tough for Sainz. He was starting to get momentum, as I was saying. He won at Silverstone. He had come off a P2 at Canada before that race in Great Britain, had a P2 in Monaco. I mean, yeah, they both had engine problems in Baku, but, you know, Sainz was really starting to feel a rhythm for the team in the last four or five races, and then just another DNF, another engine problem. And their problems, though, weren't done because Ferrari fans were holding their breath over the final couple laps because words started coming in that Charles Leclerc was having to pull back on the throttle pedal. It was stuck. And so he was using his foot to sort of pull it back in. Uh, by the way, that's not good. All right. That's not good. He had just under three seconds, uh, had a three second lead over Verstappen with about four laps remaining. And at this point, I was thinking, if Leclerc loses this race, Ferrari might as well just throw up their hands and admit that the season is a complete defeat, right? If you're losing this race to a stuck throttle pedal after your other car caught on fire and you were going from a one-two finish to two DNFs because of two mechanical problems, Ferrari should just go, yeah, we're, we're done this year. Let's roll. Let's just, let's just finish it out and figure out for next season. So that's what I was thinking. And I'm sure Ferrari fans, and I'm one of them, were thinking, you, you got to be kidding me. It's, if it's not one thing, it's another with this team. However, Leclerc did manage to get that machine around. He wins the Austrian Grand Prix, avoids complete disaster, and he ends up with the 25 points that he needed for the Grand Prix win, coupled that with points that he got from the sprint race. Verstappen finishes second. Hamilton finishes third. The lead for Verstappen is cut down by only five, but it's still five points with 11 races remaining. 
Now, uh, there's a couple of talking points that I do want to get to before we go over our team report. One, Leclerc's win in the DNF for Carlos Sainz may have done something positive for Ferrari. Hear me out on this. It may have sort of streamlined their strategy for where they're going over the final 11 races in terms of who really is the top dog. Sainz was starting to make a move here. I mean, he was finishing, he was winning a race, he was finishing P2, and now... The, the DNF for Carlos Sainz and the win for Leclerc separates them enough in the championship battle chasing Verstappen that you can see Ferrari now saying, look, everything that we do strategy-wise has got to be to maximize Charles Leclerc. Some will make the argument they do that anyway. And if you look at Silverstone, when they asked uh, Carlos Sainz for the 10-car uh, buffer between him and Leclerc when Leclerc was on those old hard tires and everybody else was on softs, um, that they were already doing that. But you really had to look at the points race and Sainz was making some serious gains. And again, Charles Leclerc was finishing behind Sainz on a number of races. This may have separated them enough that Ferrari puts a lot of their strategic thought into maximizing Charles Leclerc in the championship fight. Because Sainz is now fourth in the standings. He's 75 points back of Verstappen. Leclerc is second, and he only trails by 38. So this, again, might free up Ferrari with strategy calls down the stretch. The other thing that I want to get to as far as a talking point, and that was this track limit issue that I brought up earlier, I thought what was going on at the Red Bull ring was kind of ridiculous. There were 43 violations that were given out on Sunday. That's 43. Four drivers received five-second penalties. Lando Norris, Sebastian Vettel, Pierre Gasly, Joe Guan Yu all received more than three warnings of track limits. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand track limits. It's You want to make sure that cars are staying on the track. They're not getting that little extra advantage in some corners where you can go, if you just go a little bit wide, you might get a better run. So because you have to kind of avoid breaking as much to sort of fit into the track. You can break a little bit later and kind of use the outer part of that racetrack to get an advantage. So I do understand it. Believe me, I, I, I get it. Verstappen, though, pointed out that this needs to be reevaluated, and I think that's the key, is that there are corners at the Red Bull ring where cars aren't going to get an advantage if they go over the track limit. Right Now, there are some corners that they are, but there are corners where they're not. And maybe the FIA, with, again, the new regulations with the car, need to sort of evaluate where those turns are before they issue these warnings and eventually five-second penalties. Again, I get the theory behind it, but 43 is not a very good look for Formula One. Verstappen said so afterwards. Now, Lando Norris had a very interesting point because he went off on the sausage curb. He lost a second because of that, and then he was still giving a, given a warning on top of it, and that warning allowed for the accumulation of other warnings, and he was one of the drivers that got a five-second penalty because of it. So... I think I agree with the drivers who are saying, look, let's reevaluate this. Find the corners where going off the track, even by a little bit, costs you a tenth of a second, a hundredth of a second, whatever it may be. Find those corners and be a little bit more gracious and understanding about to where those cars are. Verstappen's point was at the Red Bull ring, especially some of those corners come up rather blindly. And again, they, they kind of know where to hit the brakes and they know the braking zones. And sometimes you're just carrying a little too much speed into corners and you are losing a clip or two. And therefore it really shouldn't deserve a warning. All right, so let's get to our team reports. We go over all 10 teams on the grid, kind of give you a rundown of their weekend. Let's start with Ferrari. 
Because unfortunately, it's a mixed grade because it was a victory, and that was very important, especially for Charles Leclerc, who hadn't won since round number three. But another engine failure caused a DNF for Carlos Sainz. They could not capitalize on a day where they clearly had an advantage over Red Bull on the circuit. Sainz had the pace to catch and overtake Verstappen. It would have been a one-two finish. They would have gained a lot of ground in the Constructors' Championship. Instead, Sainz had the engine failure, and the pickup was good, but not great. Now, if you're gonna, you're not gonna get very many races where you're going to see Red Bull have one driver out and another one behind both your cars. So if you can get that, you better take advantage of that. And Ferrari really didn't do it. For all of the criticism of Ferrari this season, the one that keeps standing out is how they beat themselves. Engine failures are going to happen and they're going to happen with every single team. But Sainz has had four DNFs already this season and it came after he was riding so much momentum as we talked about earlier after runs, you know, top runs in three of the last four races. As for Red Bull, it's definitely rewarding to not win a race, but also feel like you didn't give up too much in not taking the checkered flag. Verstappen ends up P2, and then he also wins the sprint race on Saturday. So the DNF for Perez was tough because it did affect their strategy. They couldn't play Sergio and and an element of Sergio in their battle with Ferrari, but the Scuderia were too tough. I mean, look, that, that, that car had superior pace. And so again, Red Bull comes out of this only five points down in the championship for Verstappen. And that's pretty decent. Um, and they've been dominating in Austria for a while. It was a little surprising to see Ferrari so much better than they were. Um, but again, it's it, it, there's a some point in the Grand Prix where you think damage control, and they did it masterfully. Verstappen gets a P2 on a, on a day where he really should have been P3. But again, because Ferrari had an engine failure with signs, he gets some, uh, gets some points to minimize the damage. So they did do that, so they get a pretty good grade. Again, Perez suffering some damage on that first lap contact with George Russell was never a factor, and so they retired the car, and rightfully so. They should have retired the car. He wasn't really going to be any sort of factor trying to get himself up through the grid. Mercedes, uh, really, really, really weird race for them. Lewis Hamilton started to find some form. He's now been on the podium the last three races. That combined with another top five finish for George Russell, and the Silver, Silver Arrows are starting to be a solid threat to win a race or two this year. They had a great finish to the weekend that they didn't start very well. Both drivers crashed in qualifying on Friday. Um, Russell had to serve a five-second penalty after some contact with Perez, he was still able to get P4. So it was like uh, the weekend really didn't start very well for them, but they end up again in positions of three and four after the Grand Prix. Now, the interesting thing about Mercedes is there's a lot of conversation is where exactly are they in comparison to Red Bull and Ferrari? Are they making grounds? I I don't know if they're quite there pace-wise. And if Perez was... If Perez was in this thing, it's kind of likely that he finishes maybe even ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Well, no, I mean, Hamilton had a really good ride, but they are starting to make some ground. I said this on a podcast previously. I think Mercedes wins a race this year at some point, um, some way, some shape or form, some circumstance is going to arise where they're going to be a car that is going to be running really well. Maybe there's some circumstances up front that allow them to get to the checkered flag. I do think Mercedes is going to win a race this season. I don't think they're going to win more than one, but I think they're going to win one by the time the season is out. They seem to get better and better and better and more of a threat, but they're just not really quite there. I mean, the difference between them and Ferrari was pretty great and the difference between them and Red Bull was was still something they have to strive for Alpine Esteban Ocon finished fifth and a rather quiet fifth too I mean he started sixth after the sprint race I didn't really see much of what he was doing but he just started kind of hanging around doing doing really well staying in the top five 
Fernando Alonso, however, what a race he had. He had to start at the back of the field. He had to take a new power unit after failing even uh, because in the sprint race, he had electrical problems. He didn't even run the sprint race on Saturday. He also did experience some vibration issues on his tires, and he needed to make a second stop pretty early, but he still finished 10th. Battled just about everybody on the grid to get there at some point. Had to pass Valtteri Botas for that final point. Uh, but he is, that's better than none. And it's double points for the Alpine team. Haas, double points again. Mick Schumacher finishing P6 here in driver of the day. Kevin Magnussen finishing eighth. That's a second straight race that the team earned double points. One more thing, though. The narrative is starting to change on Schumacher. Now, of course, narratives change like the wind in sports. I mean, it's so, so much of a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of culture. But Schumacher did go from, from does he have a future? Because, remember, he was crashing cars. He was costing Haas millions of dollars with those mistakes. Now he's getting the car in the top ten. And this one didn't have the same kind of attrition that we saw at Silverstone, which I know there are going to be people that are going to criticize and say, well, look, look who didn't compete because of early crashes or whatnot. But this didn't have really that. And so he's really building up some momentum as they head to France. So good for him and good for the Haas team. I know they started off really strong. As I've said many a times, being an American, there's a lot of my friends who are now new Formula One fans and they jumped on the Haas bandwagon being an American team. They, they're pretty excited about where this team is going. But um, again, started off great, disappeared for a while, struggled for a while, and now second straight race and double points. Congratulations to Gunther Steiner and Haas for the kind of run that they've been having. McLaren, uh, Lando Norris finished P7, felt it could have been better, had a five-second track limit penalty, and then, of course, he lost that second on the sausage curb, as he was talking about afterwards. Daniel Ricciardo finished ninth, so it was a double points day for the team. Neither, though, was it able to do really well enough in the sprint race to get points there. They started P10 and P11. You get points in the first eight in the sprint race. So it was good progress for the Grand Prix. There's still some work they got to do, but it's a good result. McLaren and Alpine now tied with 81 points for P4 in the Constructors' race. That's a really, really interesting battle that is going on between those two teams. Watch for that as the season progresses. Aston Martin, Sebastian Vettel finishing 17th after he spun into the gravel, bringing out the virtual safety car, making contact with Pierre Gasly. After the spin, the car was not the same. He dropped down in the order. Lance Stroll, he had the car in the top 10, but ended up finishing 13th. Now, he had the car up to P5 at one point, but that's only because he was able to make that first set of tires last 30 laps. Uh, but it also put him in position to have some nice track battles with George Russell and Mick Schumacher. But again, neither one of the drivers finishing in the points on Sunday. Alfa Romeo, no points either for a Zhou Guan Yu finished 14th. He also had a five-second track limit penalty. Valtteri Bottas finished just outside the points in 11th, and he lost that final point to Fernando Alonso. Alonso had fresher tires and beat him on the final lap, and it was still a pretty good run for Bottas. He's had a lot of success at that track when he was with Mercedes, won there a few times, but he started in the pit lane, and so, again, getting somewhere near the points was a pretty good run for Bottas. He just failed to deliver as he was getting passed by Alonso on fresher tires. Alfatari, Yuki Sonoda finished 16th. I really can't remember anything he did of note other than getting into that side-by-side -side battle with Fernando Alonso that caused the world former world champion to wag a finger at him. Gasly, Pierre Gasly, had a disappointing weekend. He finished 15th. He had no pace, and then, of course, the contact with Sebastian Vettel. So neither car did really anything for Alfatari on Sunday at the Red Bull ring. And finally, Williams, Alex 
Albon finished 12th. Nicholas Latifi had to retire after suffering some floor damage. The team had an upgrade package at Silverstone. Albon, though, was caught up in that opening melee at Silverstone. Remember, he finally got to see the upgrade working for him at the Red Bull ring. Really liked it. Said the car had some similar pace to McLaren. So, you know, that, that was at least something positive for two drivers that finished outside the points as well. I'm going to close out this podcast with one other bit of Formula One news. American IndyCar driver Colton Herta, who we've been telling you on this podcast is going to end up in Formula One someday, did a two-day test for McLaren at Portimao in Portugal. He drove a 2021 McLaren. Now, does this mean that he'll be on the McLaren team? Should they move on from Daniel Ricciardo or Ricciardo moves on from them before the 2024 season when the contracts are up? The short answer is no. He is just part of McLaren's young driver program to sort of gauge potential. So don't necessarily read this to mean that he's going to be in a McLaren anytime soon. He might, he might, you don't know, but there are other Formula 2 drivers that are certainly waiting to get a ride if indeed McLaren is looking for a new driver at some point. Herta did do 162 laps over two days. No lap times were provided. Andreas Seidel said that he was impressed. He adapted well to the Formula 1 car and Herta does believe he could be competitive in this series if given a chance. You would expect anything less from a from a driver. They always feel like they're going to they're super confident in anything that they can get behind the wheel for again. But this was part of McLaren's program to put potential drivers in older cars to sort of gauge potential. And Herta though is also part of the plan for Andretti motorsports. If they are able to field a team for formula one, that's a big if, but if they can field a team for formula one, Herta is part of that process. He's part of that equation when it comes to if indeed they can get on the grid. Now, as I've said many times on this podcast, Herta would be a major piece for Formula One as they try to increase interest in the American market. They've already done so with Drive to Survive. They signed the deal with uh, ESPN to expand coverage. That's the way we get our, our Formula One races here in the United States. There was talk about Netflix, Netflix possibly buying the rights to it. There, you know, There was a little bit of a media battle, but in the end, they're going to stay on ESPN and we get all the Formula One races and some of them are on ABC television, which is another big plus. But if you want to increase interest in the United States with three races coming next season in Miami, Austin, and now Las Vegas, it, I don't think Colton Herta is going to get a ride next year, but if those races are on the calendar going forward and we're just going to be seeing Formula One races three times in the United States every single year, you got to get an American driver in there. And again, American drivers have been in Formula One in the past. Alexander Rossi drove in Formula One. Of course, uh, Mario Andretti was an American driver who won a Formula One championship. So American drivers aren't completely foreign to Formula One. There just hasn't been a lot of them. But this is like the perfect storm now because a lot of attention is being focused in on Formula One. You're starting to see increased coverage now. Like you're looking at sports websites that cover all the major sports in the United States. They're devoting space on their website and a few resources to covering Formula One one more and more. I mean, I know I started this podcast a year ago. I'm in season two and already this season, as far as American podcasts of Formula One going, I'm seeing some real increased competition from some major media entities that are doing this. So by the way, I hope you stay with me. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm starting to see it. You're starting to see more and more coverage at The Athletic, Sports Illustrated, Meadowlark Media, just, uh, The Ringer. They're all putting a lot more effort into covering Formula One and providing Americans a better, uh, more content and more, more information. Colton Herta would be a major part of increased coverage here in the United States. And if for Formula One, if that's what they want to do in, in terms of getting more and more Americans into the sport, it's a perfect time to sort of do that. 
but here's the flip side of that. Formula One is seeing an increased presence in the United States. And when they go to Miami and when they go to Austin, they're really seeing how much attention that they are getting. I saw, I brought this up during the Miami Grand Prix. You had a city that had a team in the NBA playoffs. You had a team in the NHL playoffs. The Miami Marlins were playing baseball at the time. And yet the only thing in Miami that weekend that seemed to be on everybody's forefront was the Grand Prix that was happening at Miami Gardens. Even in Austin, where it's heavy football season, that's a heavy football area, that place is still drawing huge crowds and huge attention. When Texas is playing football, Texas A&M is playing football, the Dallas Cowboys are playing football, Baylor's playing football, the Houston Texans are playing football, well, kind of playing football. Nevertheless, it's football time in October, and yet the U.S. Grand Prix in that area draws so much interest and so much attention. Teams have been known to put drivers in cars based on their level of exposure. Zhou Guan Yu is a fine driver, but he also brings in the China market, right? You have other drivers who are paid drivers, right? Nicholas Latifi brings in money, even though there are plenty of drivers who are better than he is at driving a Formula One car. Colton Herter is going to compete for the, a ride and in like anybody else, but there are also guys in Formula Two that are ready to make that step up. Now, Colton Herta, again, brings in the American market, but I, I can still see teams saying, you know what, for the good of what we're trying to do in this new era now, cost cap, where we can be competitive, we've got to find a way to put the best driver in that car, may not be Colton Herta at the time that they are looking. But I'm an American, and I hope Colton Herta does get a seat in a Formula One car pretty soon. All right, Formula One is off for a week, and then it's off to France for the French Grand Prix. We'll have a preview of that coming up in about a week or so. Again, subscribe to the channel. If you like what we're doing, please tell a friend. We really do appreciate the support. As I mentioned, it's highly competitive now in the American podcast market for Formula One broadcasters, and I am doing the best I can, so I do appreciate all the support that you give me. If you need to reach me on Twitter, at Tony D Radio, love the feedback, and also like our Facebook page, the Overtake F1 Podcast. You can find us there. If you want to comment on anything, it's on your mind about anything that's going on in Formula One. All right, I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for listening to our Austrian Grand Prix review. This is the Overtake F1 Podcast.